from GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. I think that's the challenge that's facing business today. Lots of work has been done. There are so many amazing tools out there from many organizations that help companies understand you know, how to build a strong sustainability strategy and link that to the SDGs. How do you operationalize it? That was Karen James, the CEO of ERM. I sat down with her last week at GreenBiz19 in Phoenix, Arizona, to talk about her tenure as the head of the world's biggest environmental management consultancy and how she sees the expansion of the field of sustainability as she hopes to accelerate towards 2030. Let's listen in. Really interesting company these days. URM's been around for how long? Almost 50 years. Almost 50 years, you and EDF. Um, <laughs> but uh, you seem to be making kind of a, a pivot from uh, sort of your engineering roots uh, with a, you know, a bunch of engineers and hydrogeologists and industrial hygienists and, and like to this world of sustainability. Um, and we can talk about sort of the, some of the recent acquisitions that you've made, and it's pretty interesting too. Um, but talk a little bit about what that transition is and why. So I think, uh, I mean, ERM has very much as, as its purpose to shape a sustainable future with the world's leading organizations. I mean, that's the why of, of why we're here. And I think we've always had, as you said, really, really strong technical roots. We have, you know, 5,200 amazing subject matter experts around the world. But we very much see that um, the way in which we can make a difference and, and have an impact is by bringing together that technical expertise with a very, very strong understanding of the commercial outcomes that our clients are looking for, along with an appreciation and an understanding of the societal challenges that our clients are facing that, that we have developed a strong understanding of through our relationships with the likes of Green Beers or WBCSD, for example. So for us, it's about leveraging that technical depth and breadth and bringing it together to solve commercial problems and societal challenges for our clients. Uh, and, and, and so that's, that's the beauty, if you like, the magic of where it comes together. Um, and, and so it's not so much a, a shift, if you like, but perhaps a, a re-emphasis of um, using that expertise to... Lots of people have been talking about systems, approaches, and I think it's about bringing that expertise to solve sort of systems-wide challenges. So what's the vision? Of what do you, how do you see this company evolving and in, 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 you know, ex- developing muscles that maybe it didn't have before? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think for me, you know, the, the conversation over the last couple of days, I think, reinforces that, um, you know, the last 50 years of, of ERM's uh, efforts, if you like, have been preparing us for the point that we now find ourselves at where where sort of business will, market forces, uh, investor influence, and, and frankly, sheer necessity uh, are driving us to have to solve problems with a velocity, a pace, and a scale that we've not seen before. And, and so the last 50 years has been preparation for us to very much be at the center of that, working with clients to not only develop a, a very strong sustainability strategy, but to ensure that we are able to support them to operationalize that. I think that's the challenge that's facing business today. Lots of work has been done. There are so many amazing tools out there from many organizations that help companies understand you know, how to build a strong sustainability strategy and link that to the SDGs. 
but how do you operationalize it? How do you embed it in your business um, and make it part of the day-to-day? -day? And I think that's hard, especially if you're a global company, complex supply chains, operations all over the world. That's hard. Yeah, it is hard. I think everybody in this room certainly knows that. You have a global perch and uh, global organization. You're based in London. You're Australian. And so you... Um, uh, do have, uh, I think, a global view of things, but in, you seem to uh, be focusing, uh, I think, in on the, uh, North America uh, more, leaning in a little bit in that direction. And I'm wondering what you're seeing going on here relative to uh, what's been happening, say, in Europe or, or, or in Asia or uh, mm -hmm. Australia, New Zealand, that feels like there may be a moment here? I think there's definitely a moment here. And, and I think for us you know, the, the, the sort of the, the pointy end of that, if you like, is the pressure that we see coming from investors and shareholders in, in business. And so our clients are coming to us uh, saying, you know, we need help with understanding, for example, our material risks. Um, our, our investors and our shareholders are asking questions. Our, the rating agencies are asking questions about our human rights performance or our greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and, and so the, the, the pressure that's coming from investors and shareholders is very real, uh, and it is forcing companies to react. And historically, we've always seen a little bit of a sort of a, a US and the rest of the world divide on that. That has changed, um, and, and I think it's changed quite rapidly. So that, that's, that's a key driver. I think the other thing that I think is happening here, and it's happening everywhere, but, but I see it particularly in North America because there are so many large tech companies here, is the role that digital is playing in this space. And, and the availability of technology, uh, the, the use of data to solve problems, I think is forcing uh, companies, and particularly sustainability and EHS components of companies to say, how do I use data to get information more quickly? How do I get forward-looking data that will enable me to make decisions that protect me from risk but also create value for, for my company? So there's a real shift, I think, in terms of the role that digital has to play, and, and there's a big focus on that here generally, and I think that's helping to drive some of this, particularly with a view to value creation as opposed to risk management. And, and somewhat ironically, you've talked about the fact that some of the tech companies... Uh, <laughs> set themselves up as sort of a, a, a sustainable companies, and, and the reality is that they're not. <laughs> Some of our best clients are tech companies, <laughs> so I'm going to have to be very careful here. Look, I think that there is a recognition from some of the major technology companies that um, they have an enormous role to play and are playing a very significant role in helping the, move, the world move towards more sustainable ways of, of operating, whether it's the mobile phones we have, whether it's the, the electric vehicle, etc. But the supply chain, if you think about where the supply chain starts, so in order to create those phones and those electric cars, you need copper. You need, you know, lithium. You, you need all of those kinds of things. Of rare and, and earths. Rare earths, yeah. okay. So it's got to be mined. Now, the mining industry gets the, gets the rap for that, but at the end of the day, it's part of the supply chain. Um, similarly, uh, I think, you know, the, the construction of large data centers, the management of waste, e-waste, is a huge issue. And I think that people are just starting to wrap their head around the fact that actually there's a responsibility and an accountability for managing those issues. And, and what we're seeing, notwithstanding some of the earlier comments, is 
there's a pace here in, in terms of the way in which these companies are responding. There's, it, it's a huge challenge, but they are responding extremely quickly. Mm. They, they, so, so they are coming around, is what Absolutely, you're yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the level of conversation that we're seeing from, um, from the technology companies in terms of help me make sure that I manage my impacts, but also help me understand how I can use the technology that we have in our business to solve some of these broader issues. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how, can we, how can we do that? How can we make a contribution for sure? Yeah. Speaking of broader issues, one of the, I think, interesting things that you've taken on is, is, the, uh, is this world of, of, of social um, yes. and, and human capital. Uh, how did you come to that? How do you see that as a as an issue, sort of maybe it's a next-gen issue for sustainability uh, professionals? So I think there has, you know, rightly been a very substantial focus on the environmental dimensions of sustainability over the last uh, 50 years, but, but perhaps at the expense of some of the social aspects. So whether you're talking about safety, whether you're talking about um, diversity and inclusion, whether you're talking about human rights, uh, you know, whether you're talking about employee um, kind of you know, happiness and performance and motivation, you know, all of those things have a very material impact on the performance of a business. And, and things going wrong, for example, around human rights in the supply chain, can have a material impact on a company's reputation, uh, on their financial performance. So I think this has been underestimated. So Mike Wallace, who, um, who works for ERM, is the CEO of the Social and Human Capital Protocol. Uh, and we've, we've been dedicating Mike's time uh, to that over the past couple of years, and he's been instrumental in, in getting uh, that protocol established. Uh, and we feel very strongly that this has been a somewhat neglected uh, area of, um, of sustainability, and we think that the protocol will really help companies to understand how those issues impact their business, but also what the opportunity is in there for value creation by understanding and managing uh, those issues in the, in the supply chain, but also in their business more broadly. So you brought up uh, Mike Wallace. Uh, that brings us to your sort of recent acquisitions. You, I guess a year or so ago, you, you acquired Brown Flynn, Barb Brown and Margie Flynn are both here. Um, and, uh, and Mike is, was part of, came along with that ride. And more recently, you bought Sustainability, the firm that uh, originally founded by my friend and mentor, John Elkington, Sweet. 30 years ago. Uh, Brown Flynn is 20 years old, and you guys are 50 years old. It's 100 years of, of, of experience. It's, it's pretty cool. But what, what's the plan? What, what's the end game here? Yeah. So uh, it, it's interesting. One of the things that you said yesterday um, in your introduction was around, you know, who would have thought? You know, you sort of pose this question, who would have thought? And, and then, you know, kind of what's the moonshot that, that comes from that? And I think, you know, the way I look at it is, who would have thought that, you know, if, if the founders of VRM were sitting here 50 years ago and, and saying, it's taken us 50 years to make this much progress, um, you know, we, we really need to be able to go faster. And so for me, I think it's about... Uh, if you add the likes of Brown Flynn and sustainability, and if you add the likes of our partnership with Data Moran, which we just announced this week, that century of experience that comes you know, with those kinds of organisations, and hopefully more that will come and be part of the ERM family going forward, uh, allows us, I think, to have hope 
that that combined experience along with the sort of collective collaboration that we can do with the likes of GreenBiz, WVCSD, the GRI, will enable us to get done in 12 years what has taken us so far to get done in 50. So, so we've created, I hope, this flywheel effect that by bringing together that expertise along with this context of much stronger business will, really strong market forces, uh, and some sort of very obvious implications of climate change impacting people around the world, that, that that collective sort of collaboration allows us to get done in the next 12 years what we need to get done. Yeah. When, you, when you talk to companies about this stuff, yeah. um, you know, there's the fear side, the greed side, the fear side being 12 years, and, you know, here it comes. And, uh, and the, the greed side is the opportunity side that, that's not just about saving money, but perhaps creating value, creating value yeah. new markets, uh, new business models, and all that. What do you see that between the two of those, what's, what's been effective for you? So I think historically, uh, the, the sort of focus on risk management has, has been the thing that most people understand. Interestingly, though, in the last 12 months, in all of the conversations that I've had with you know, chief sustainability officers or people who have director of sustainability in their title, because these days it can often be head of marketing and sustainability or um, you know, product development and sustainability. There's some interesting combinations breaking out in terms of you know, where that job fits in an organisation. What they are saying to me is, how can you help me I need to ensure that I am creating value for my business. You know, they are in value creation mode, and, and their view is, look, the compliance stuff, the risk management stuff, I've got people in my team who can do that. Um, you know, and, and people have built sort of strong compliance um, functions in many cases. The, where, they, where they are struggling and want help with their thinking now, and this has been particularly in the last 12 months, is the conversation around value creation. Where can I find opportunity in the circular economy? Where can I find opportunity in going to you know, zero carbon in terms of energy use? You know, where can I find opportunity? I mean, hydrogen, for example. Um, you know, there is huge opportunity and interest around hydrogen. So... I see that conversation shifting very rapidly, and people are now asking the question, help me create value, because the risk management piece is kind of, yeah, we have to do that. It's minimum, de minimis. The value creation piece is where they see the opportunity. We, in our State of Green Business report this year, my colleague John Davies wrote a piece about how the, the business, uh, the profession of sustainability is, is in being embedded more with, within companies. Um, as opposed, and, and there still needs to be a, a quarterback or whatever the or <laughs> OV's case, a fullback uh, that uh, you know drives this whole thing. Does that make it easier or harder to, in terms of finding, the, uh, having that conversation with companies? I think it makes it. Uh, I, th I actually think it makes it easier because because the conversation about sustainability is broadening. So if you think about the social and human capital protocol. You know, at the end of the day, the person who's going to get the responsibility for having to address some of those issues is going to be the person in charge of procurement for the supply chain. It's going to be the HR director who's in charge of managing the, the social and human capital within a company. Uh, you know, it's going to be the CFO uh, who has to deal with you know, the, the sort of financial elements. So, 
So what's happening is because the conversation is taking place now at the C-suite level, as opposed to it being down in the HSE function, which is often where it used to sit, then there is a greater literacy and awareness, I think, across an organization because it's actually being pushed down through a variety of functions. Legal, for example, you know, even the legal function is getting involved because of the issues around disclosure. So I think it's easier for us to have that conversation. Um, but, but the level of, of understanding and awareness and the focus varies. So you have to be very connected um, to do that. I want to get a question from Heather in a second. But I want, first I want to ask you, what, what do you recommend or what advice can you give to sustainability executives in terms of elevating that conversation to the C-suite in a way that, that increases the readiness to take on some bigger, bigger projects? Yeah. Look, I think there has always got to be, uh, you know, a business case for, you know, the conversation. And I think it's about understanding how to build, uh, you know, a sort of both quantifiable uh, and, and, and perhaps less quantifiable uh, value to be able to describe what the impact will be for the business of taking action, whether it be negative impact in terms of financial loss uh, or whether it be a positive impact in terms of a value creation opportunity. I think... But you, just, but you said tangible and intangible. I thought you were... It sounds like it's not just about money. Yeah. It's about... Well, it's about reputation. Um, you know, it's about competitive advantage. I had a really interesting discussion with, uh, with somebody last week, actually, uh, who was a chief marketing and sustainability officer. And, you know, their role in their firm has completely shifted in terms of how do they, how do they differentiate their products in the market by presenting its sustainability credentials mm. and using that to differentiate the product. And so, so I think that's where it's going. It, it's not about, look, we should do this because it's nice to have and it ticks somebody's box yeah. somewhere. We should do this because it will create competitive advantage. Um, and that's the shift. Good. Heather? So many great questions. Uh, I'm, I'm taking this one, though. Uh, given your global perspective, what can U.S. sustainability professionals and companies learn from the work that you are doing in other regions of the world? So what can they learn? Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, that, that's a big question. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I, yesterday, again, I, I think one of the things that people kept emphasizing, and I've heard it again this morning, I think is this systems approach um, and, and I think taking an holistic view of how sustainability impacts the business, both in terms of how your business impacts um, the environment and society, but also what are the impacts of the risks, such as climate risk, on your business and taking a holistic approach. I mean, I think in, in Europe and other places, that's what I, where it's successful is where it takes a very holistic uh, approach and it has senior executive ownership. Um, I, I think if it's, if it's too far down in the organization and it is too siloized, uh, then it is too difficult to get the, the sort of the operationalization of sustainability across the spectrum. Let's take another question, a quick, short one. So can you, uh, you mentioned the role of collaboration before. Can you give a specific example of a really effective partnership between NGOs, businesses, and other stakeholders that is accelerating progress in the way that you were describing, or innovation in, in this field? A really innovative collaboration. 
gosh, you've got me there. Um, well, are you seeing more collaborative efforts that, that you know, where companies are? I mean, we've seen you know the, the uh, plastic waste, for example. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more. Is that? Do you finding that that's uh, sort of growing in the marketplace now? Uh, and, and so just as you were starting to speak, the plastics thing, I think it was the thing that came to mind. And, and we had a session yesterday um, with the Ocean Conservancy talking about their role. And I think the, the Alliance to End Plastic Waste, I think, is a really interesting sort of collaboration where uh, you have got business, including businesses that, you know, their business is plastics, um, coming together to effectively recognize a, a challenge and, and recognizing the need to work with government, um, to work with all sorts of NGOs, including the Ocean Conservancy, talking about their role. And I think the, the Alliance to End Plastic Waste, I think, is a really interesting sort of collaboration where uh, you have got business, including businesses that, you know, their business is plastics, um, coming together to effectively recognize a, a challenge and, and recognizing the need to work with government, um, to work with all sorts of NGOs, including the Ocean Conservancy, um, and, and to, to effectively solve a problem, which is a system-wide yeah. problem. You can't fix that problem unless you have governments involved, unless you've got business involved, and unless you've got NGOs involved. I think that's probably the best example where there's huge momentum around that. There's a real urgency around that initiative that I have not seen in, on any other initiative so far. We're kind of out of time, but just give us a hint of what's next. What, what can we be looking for from you all? Uh, I think, uh, you know, what's next for us is, I think, really focusing on integrating the amazing capability that we have, you know, brought into ERM with the likes of Brown Flynn Sustainability, our partnerships with Data Moran, uh, and, and continuing to do that so that we can uh, have build our strong technical expertise um, with particularly the sustainability platform really increasing the level and contribution we make around thought leadership uh, and, and those networks uh, and then um, you know, working with our clients to help them go much, much faster. Great. Well, that's a good thing we all need to do. Go much, much faster. Please join me in thanking Karen James. You've been listening to Karen James talk about the importance of technology and acceleration for sustainable businesses at GreenBiz19 in Phoenix, Arizona. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.